This morning's scripture reading is from John 10, verses 1 through 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that reveals to us who you are. I ask, Holy Spirit, now that you prepare our hearts to receive the message you have for us today, and we ask for your anointing upon Pastor Tommy as he delivers it. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It is great to see you guys here this morning. How many of you are glad you're at church? Yeah, some of you are a little more excited than others of you. We are glad you guys are here this morning. We're glad because we get the opportunity to come together as the body of Christ. We get a chance to worship Jesus together. And we get a chance to learn and grow in the knowledge of him. And so this is why we come uh, on a Sunday morning to do that. And that's really what our focus has been as we've walked through this series, uh, The Word, as we've tried to learn more and more about who Jesus Christ is. This morning, as we continue our, that series, we get a parable from Jesus as he is responding to the Pharisees in, in the aftermath of the healing of the blind man. You guys remember that story, right? Because we've been going over that for the last couple of weeks. It's the story of how Jesus and the disciples were walking along and they, they saw a man who had been blind since birth. The disciples, having kind of been caught up in the, the karmic uh, theology that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, he asked of Jesus, they asked of Jesus, um, what, whose sin caused this man to be blind since birth, his or his parents? And Jesus' response was neither, but that, but that the glory of God may be revealed in him. And so with that, Jesus, in a very clear provocation of the Pharisees, bent over and grabbed dirt and spit in his hand and made mud. The reason I say it was a clear provocation is because the law, according to the Pharisees, taught that you could neither knead bread nor make mud on the Sabbath. And so Jesus in that act was provoking the Pharisees to this division. They were, he was provoking them to say that, that we don't follow after you, that you're not the ones who set the law, that you're not the ones who understand this, but that salvation comes from God through me. So as he's having this conversation with the Pharisees, um, they get quite upset. And so they are kind of pushing him and they're, tra and they're, and they're, they're trying to, to, trying to, um, frame him and try and put him in a spot in which he is seen by all as being someone who is a heretic. 
And so this is the context of the conversation that Jesus introduces the parable. In fact, as he's talking, you notice that out of, out of his conversation in chapter 9 in response to the healing of the blind man coming into chapter 10, there is no break. There, there is no bridge. It goes right from the conversation he's having with the Pharisees in chapter 9 into the parable. If you look at nine, chapter 9, verse 39, it starts with this. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, and those who do not see, do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees here near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Did you notice how this was just a continuation of, this, of the same paragraph that is just a continuation of the conversation Jesus is having? So this parable is a response to the Pharisees in the fact that, that they're asking whether Jesus Christ sees them as blind, whether or not they are spiritually blind. So as Jesus is talking, there's no break. It's this unmistakable response. He's saying to them, you, the Pharisees, are the thieves and the robbers. They, that they got to their, to their shepherd-like leadership positions, not through the blessing of the gatekeeper, but in some illegitimate way. That they are not the faithful shepherds, and that ultimately those who follow after God, those who are God's church, those who are God's family, won't follow them because their voice is the voice of a stranger. This is what he says in verse five, a stranger, they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. The sheep that belong to the shepherd, the sheep that are the true, the true children, the true sheep, the true flock of God, hear the voice of the true shepherd and follow. And he is saying to them very clearly, you're not that. This is Jesus continuing to drive home the divisive nature of, of his message, of his work, of his very nature. We've been talking about this throughout as you follow the story of Jesus through the book of John. We've been watching this arc as there has been a division that has been created amongst the crowd. A division that ultimately ends with them killing him, ultimately ends with them crucifying him. And as we've walked, watched each step of the way, Jesus Christ has been the one who has been, who has been driving that division, who's been saying, you have to make a choice. In this instance, he is saying, you either follow me or you follow robbers and thieves and strangers. In fact, if you continue to read this passage, if you continue to read this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees, it concludes at this, at what might be determined as the ultimate divisive point. That ultimate, the ultimate point where you have to make a decision. You look at John chapter 19, chapter 10, verse 19, and, it, and you see where this ends. It says, there was, given, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? 
This event, this, this conversation creates the most profound of divisions possible. He is either divine or demonically deranged. That's where it ends, right? He's either divine or demonically deranged. That's what this all comes down to. He is either insane or he's God. And the reason I say Jesus brought it down to his insanity or his deity is because of the way he describes his power in verses 17 and 18. I want you to understand this. But that, that conclusive um, uh, conversation, that, that divisive um, interaction where they said he's either demonically deranged or something that comes from God was forced because of the declaration Jesus Christ himself makes in verses 17 and 18. He, writes, he, he, he declares to them, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. Now, now hear what he's saying. Listen to the declaration he's making. It is clear a mere mortal, any one of us can choose to lay down our lives. We can jump off a cliff. We can throw our bodies in front of a bullet to save another. We can lay down our lives. But the declaration he makes here is not only does he have the authority to lay down his life, but he has the authority to take it up again. You can't undead yourself, right? You can't be dead and then all of a sudden say, I, I, I have the authority now, I have the power, I have the ability to now be raised from my death. This is the declaration Jesus Christ is making. And this is why ultimately when we read that passage where they say he's either demonically deranged or something else, which would be divine, Jesus forces that determination. He calls us to that divisive declaration. We either sit here right now and say, he is either deranged or divine. We're in the same place. We're in the same place they were at at that moment. This is where Jesus Christ is taking us from John chapter 10 all the way through verse, verse, verse 1 through 21. He leads us there through highly important terrain, truths that, that will define um, our lives depending on whether or not we accept or embrace those truths. He, in this passage, it, it lays out who he is. And we ultimately have to respond to that framework that Jesus Christ in this passage is creating. John chapter 10 verses 1 through 18 can, can ultimately be divided in probably three different parts. Verses 1 through 6, verses 7 through 10, and verses 11 through 18. Verses 1 through 6 put the Pharisees to, um, to the test again with what, G, with, with what John calls um, a figure of speech, a kind of parable or, or a word picture. 
It's this very general picture that Jesus Christ is painting for them. A picture of, of, a, of a sheepfold, of, of sheep, of a door, of a shepherd, of a gatekeeper, of a stranger. And as he does this, he doesn't identify himself with any of them explicitly. He leaves that to the Pharisees and ultimately leaves that to us to determine. Then in verses 7 through 10, he begins to explain. He says, I am the door. And then he impacts what that means to us. Then in verses 11 through 18, he says, I am the good shepherd. And he impacts for us what that means. One way to sum up these parts of this story would be to say that in verses 1 through 6, Jesus is gathering a flock. In verses 7 through 10, he's explaining why he is gathering that flock. And in verses 11 through 18, he is explaining how he gathers that flock. So the point of verses 1 through 6 is that Jesus is gathering a flock. He's gathering a people. He's drawing to himself those who are his own. He says, to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought them out, all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. He calls his sheep out and he leads them out. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what Jesus was doing in the conversations he was having as he walked this earth. And that's what Jesus is doing even today. As you sit where you are right now, the words of Jesus Christ are going out. They're going out because of his word. And as you hear it, he is calling his own to himself. That's what Jesus was doing. And that's what Jesus is doing today. Jesus is calling people to himself to follow after him, to put their hope in him. Not, not, in the, not in the self-righteousness of religiosity, as the Pharisees in that day were doing. Not in the promises of this world. Not in the wisdom of this world. He is calling us out to follow him. Not, not the plan of this world. Not, not to our feelings. Not to our wants. Not to our desires. But to look at all things outside his words outside his promises, outside his teachings, outside his work, outside the nature of Jesus Christ himself and reject those and follow him. This is what we've been saying all along that Jesus Christ over and over and over again has said salvation comes through those who believe in him. And this isn't a, this isn't a signing into some religious club. It's not giving some mental assent to some idea. It is following Jesus, his words, his teaching, his life, his promises, his work on the cross, his resurrection. That those who are his own hear his voice and follow him. Not the promise of religiosity 
or the promise of hedonism. Not, not the promise of the law or of liberalism, but in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Hear his voice and follow him. This is what Jesus is doing. And this is what he is doing today. He says to the Pharisees, you don't grasp my figure of speech about the sheep and the door, about the shepherd and the strangers and the thieves. So he goes even further in and, 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 and even though he is explaining, he's almost creating more confusion for them. Like he's done so many other times, right? Back in John chapter six, when he talked about being the bread of life and how they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood, the more he explained, the more they didn't understand. But those who were called by him, those who did understand his calling, said, where would we go but follow you? For you have the words of life. Jesus continued down. And as he speaks, as he describes more, he even creates more division. He says, if you don't understand what I just said, try this. I am the door and I am the shepherd. The crowd in that saying became divided. The way they always are, they're always divided. They're dividing where we sit even now. One group will hear that and say, that's foolish. You can't be a door and a shepherd. While another group says, tell us, tell us how you are the door and what it means for us. Tell us, tell us how you are the shepherd and what it means for us. To the willfully blind, what he offers is foolishness. To those who seek him, he offers hope. So what does he say when he talks about his nature as door and his nature as shepherd? The first declaration he makes is he says, I am the door. What does Jesus mean when he says he is the door? Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus' declaration here as being the door is much like the declaration he's going to make later on in John chapter 14, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Here he says, I am the door. If you believe in me, if you trust in me as the only path to God, I promise you two things. You will be saved and you will go out and find pasture. The decoration he makes here is that particularly you will be saved from wolves and thieves that come to kill and destroy. Safe from every enemy that would destroy you. Enter by me and you will be forever safe. You will be saved. Jesus in this declaration is making it clear that the offerings of this world, the, the schemes of the deceiver will only lead to death and destruction. 
that these, this, this world's plans are not safe. That as we follow down that pathway, we will find destruction. We've said this in the past. It's, it's akin to the declaration that we find that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. He provides for us the truth that if you follow me, you will be safe. Following Jesus promises salvation and safety. That anything else is not safe, not for your mind, not for your spirit, not for your body, not for your relationships, not for your marriage, not for your future. Following Jesus promises salvation and safety. But not just mere safety. We were not created to, be, to merely be safe. None of us want just safety. We want infinitely more than safety. What we want is life. Overflowing life. Deep life. Weighty life. Joyful life. Life with meaning and purpose. We don't just want to survive. We want to thrive on every level of our human being. And the reality is we were made for that. And this is why Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And much more than that, will go in and out and find pasture. John Piper describes this passage like this. He says, the point of saying this is that the sheepfold itself represents safety and protection. But sheep don't want to stay there. In fact, they will die if they stay in the safety of the fold. They want green pastures and still waters. And I think that when Jesus says in verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, he, came, he means I came that they might be saved and go out and come and find pasture, protection and plenty, safety and deep soul satisfaction, abundant life. Jesus Christ promises an abundant life in him through him. He is the doorway to an abundant life. And what we have to understand is that an abundant life isn't about more things. It's not about having stuff. It's about having peace, having joy, having hope, having identity, having purpose, having community, having God the Father and his Holy Spirit alive in us. Jesus is the door. The only door to soul-satisfying pastures. The only door to peace that passes all understanding. The only door to hope eternal. The only door to joy unspeakable. The only door to healing and restoration and freedom. Jesus in his teachings, in his promises, in his practices creates a doorway to this abundant life. We have to determine to abandon the path of this world and enter through the truth of Jesus and follow him to the abundant life he has for us. That's what the doorness of Jesus means.
Now, what does he mean in his shepherdness? The easiest way I think to describe this, to lay this out, to set this up, is that the nature of Jesus as the door is the why. So that we might find salvation and abundant life. And his shepherdness is the how. How are you gathering a flock of sinful sheep, bringing them to eternal and abundant life? There's much we can say about the how, but in his illustration of him as good shepherd, he emphasizes one aspect of being a good shepherd. And it is this aspect that ultimately provides the how. How is he gathering a people as a shepherd to abundant life? He lays down his life for his sheep. He is a shepherd that is willing and able and ready to sacrifice his life that we might have abundant life. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. His declaration here is really interesting because what he basically says here is that he is bound to the sheep as he is bound to the father. He can no no more lose them than he can lose the father. And to save them, he lays down his life. But even as he makes that declaration, God knows and Jesus knows and we know that if a shepherd dies, the sheep are at the mercy of the wolves. They will be scattered and they will die. And this is why Jesus says in verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. The father sent him to die for his sheep. And the, and the father commanded him not to abandon his sheep, but rise from the dead. And he did. This is Jesus overcoming the world. This is, this is the fulfillment of Jesus Christ's declaration that in this life, you will have troubles, but take heart for I will overcome this world. That the death and the destruction that this world has planned for us, that our own sinfulness plots out for us will be overcome because Jesus Christ dies and raises again to give us true life, abundant life. The path of our humanity, the wisdom of the world, the leading of the deceiver means our death. The wages of our labor in our sinfulness is death. Here on this earth and when we pass from it. But Jesus leads us to pastures of rest, of peace, of provision. And they happen because he took our sins to the cross and died for us. But not just that he died for us. But he overcame that death in his resurrection. So that we ourselves 
might be resurrected to new life. See, sin and the plans of this world will destroy us. But when we die to ourselves and we are buried in him, we, like him, are able to be risen to new life. He is the good shepherd because he made the great sacrifice. This is why we can go in and out with him. He died for our sins so that we are forgiven and that we have access to God. We have access to that peace. We have access to that hope. We have access to that joy. Because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and leaving the tomb behind. The author of Hebrews, I think, explains it beautifully in Hebrews chapter 13. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. His declaration here is because Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, that he sacrificed his blood on the cross and was risen from the dead. He now is the shepherd that leads us into all truth, that leads us into all righteousness, that leads us into all peace, that leads us into all hope, that leads us into all joy. Not because of what this world has or what this world can give us, but in spite of it, we have life in Jesus Christ, who is our good shepherd. We are today alive because he is alive, leading us again and again to protection and pasture, life and life abundant. I think what I love most about this passage in Hebrews as it speaks about his sacrifice, providing the means for which he is our, our shepherd is where it leads. Because the apex of that abundant life is the worship of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews says, in all of this, as he leads us, as he guides us, may all glory be to Jesus Christ forever and ever. That's where he has been taking us. When he says, I am the door, and he says, I am the shepherd, he's saying, I have the authority to lay down my life, and as a dead man, I have the authority to take it up. And because I take up my life, I give you abundant life in me. He is calling us. He is leading us. He is opening the way for us through his sacrifice and through his resurrection so that we may glory in him, so that we may glorify him, so that we may bring glory to him in all that we are and all that we do. This morning is a special morning in the church because it is communion morning. And as we take time this morning to take communion, I want to remind you of what we are doing here. So often it is easy for us to make the act of communion, the Lord's table, a, a religious habit, a, a, a thing that we just do over and over again because we've been in the church. 
But Jesus Christ's declaration on that first initiation of the Lord's table was to say, every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And as he makes that declaration, he's talking specifically about him as that Passover sacrifice. Every time you do this, remember that I died for your sins, that you might have life and life more abundant. Remember that that I brought you into the community of faith so that you may have life and be safe. This is what I did for you. As we come to the table this morning, I encourage you to reflect on his work on the cross because it was his death on the cross that allows us to be where we are. The good shepherd lays down his life for the flock. And as a result, we find life, life more abundant. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our proclamation today is that our good shepherd laid down his life that we may have life ourselves. This is our declaration.